Hello and welcome back to a very special, I was going to say broadcast, I guess it's more of a podcast, of uh, Trash Future, the podcast about how the future and uh, today the present is is trash. Um, this is a, a, spe- a special Saturday edition, this is an extra. Um, my name is Riley, you may remember me from every previous episode of this podcast, uh, and today I am joined by uh, Rohan Banerjee, uh, who is a journalist at the New Statesman and is also the co-host of No Country for Brown Men, uh, which is a podcast that he made and will be relaunching soon. Yep, uh, myself and Hussein Kisvani, who has obviously appeared on this show before, we are relaunching the podcast. Um, we have been asked, when is it happening? The answer is soon. Um, very non-committal stance, but it is happening. We are coming back. Uh, we're going to be better than we were before. Um, and yeah, we look forward to it, but we are definitely coming back. And, you know, for those of those of you who have been tweeting us, you know, it is happening. We promise. It's just a matter of time. Finally, the country will be specifically for brown men. <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. Rohan and I are sitting down today uh, because the BBC has taken the bizarre decision uh, to rebroadcast a... Um, basically fascist speech from Britain's checkered past and they've decided to rebroadcast rebroadcast it the first airing of of the um of the speech in uh, on on British airwaves uh, in full ever in history uh, again I don't know why that's considered to be good or significant but they appeared to say it um and it has high production values and it has commentary but it's still being represented and we think that's basically a bad idea. So we've decided that we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we are going to talk about this speech. Uh, it is the Rivers of Blood speech, famously as it is called, given by Conservative MP Enoch Powell. Uh, we're not really going to quote it that much. Uh, instead, I think we're going to talk about its sort of rotten legacy and sort of re-situating it in history to try and you know, give an alternative. Before we launch into commentary, I'm just going to briefly explain what this famous uh, Rivers of Blood speech was. So Enoch Powell uh, was, was he's dead now, uh, a conservative MP uh, for one of the Wolverhampton constituencies in the West Country. Uh, and he made this speech on April 20th, 1968. Uh, and it was in response to the passage of the race relations bill, which basically just said, uh, you can't deny, you can't, you have to rent. So if someone, if you're renting a room and someone's black, you can't deny them because they're black. You have to find another reason. Um, that's, I mean, it, it does more than this, but that was the kind of thing this bill was doing. Um, Enoch Powell, as a fascist, uh, obviously was very, very against this. And the Rivers of Blood speech, it was was made to sort of suggest that Britain was going to now be sort of overrun and taken over uh, by black people. And the reason it's called, or and brown people and Asian people and non-white people, the reason it's called the Rivers of Blood speech is that he drops in towards the very end a quote from the Aeneid. And the quote goes, As I look ahead, I am filled with foreboding. Like the Roman, I seem to see, quote, the river Tiber foaming with much blood. I think it's significant that he quotes the Aeneid, 
because uh, Virgil, the uh, author of this uh, epic, was probably the worst ancient Roman writer. <laughs> the Aeneid was a piece of jingoistic hogwash and is basically the ancient Roman version of Air Force One or perhaps the Expendables. It was it was commissioned by Augustus to create to sort of make an argument for sort of Roman exceptionalism and supremacy and the divine lineage of his house, um, and so yeah, it was it was utter. I mean, of course, a sort of chintzy fascist is going to quote it, um, but don't let that make you think that Enoch Powell was some kind of political outsider. He was an office holding MP, um, and on his death. Uh, Baroness Thatcher said, quote, there will never be anybody else so compelling as Enoch Powell. He was magnetic. Listening to his speeches was an unforgettable privilege. He was one of those rare people who made a difference and whose moral compass always led us in the right direction. William Haig, Tory leader, said, there were disagreements, sometimes profound, between Enoch Powell and the Conservative Party. Nevertheless, his contribution has helped shape the history of our party in our times, and he will not be forgotten. And our purpose today is to show precisely how his contribution has shaped our party and our times, and that, and to ensure that while he will not be forgotten, he ought not be fucking honored. Rohan. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you summed up uh, the background quite well. Um, personally, I think that the, uh, the decision to broadcast the Rivers of Blood speech from the BBC is a strange one. Um, I'll say the word strange as opposed to the wrong one, because whether or not it's the wrong one will depend on what they do afterwards. Um, so essentially, the way I see it is that whatever spin you want to put on it, uh, whatever insincere banner of, uh, of of balance or free speech you might have, I think that really the re- decision to broadcast the Rivers of Blood speech comes down to this conversation that we've been having recently about whether or not the BBC is biased. Um, ipso facto, the accusation is that the BBC is a sounding board for bitter Remain voters who are just, you know, uh, they're, they're whining about the Brexit vote, essentially. Um so if you give airtime to something that is so spiritually pro-Brexit as the Rivers of Blood speech, uh, and, I, and I'm and i aware that any criticism of me conflating leave and racism together is, again, something we can unpick in a few minutes. Um, but if you give something that is so spiritually pro-Brexit airtime, then you could offset the claim that the BBC is only broadcasting pro-immigration, pro-Remain sentiments. Now, while it might be successful in assuaging the Leave community or the uh, those with imperialist delusions and fantasies, mm-hmm. um, I think that for Remainers, and more importantly for the ethnic minorities that are actually targeted in the speech, the brown people, the black people, the non-white people that are actually the victims of that speech, um, it has the completely opposite effect. And I think that injecting that speech back into the public consciousness, even if you're going to critique it, uh, putting it in a primetime slot and talking about it, what that does is it it offers a uh, you know it offers almost a faux legitimacy because basically racists are always looking for something to hang their hat on. They're always looking for something to latch onto as a way of being like, okay, well if it's on primetime TV, if it's being discussed, then it's obviously acceptable. But the reality is that this speech, whether or not you have for and against the very fact that you have four suggests that you're lending credence to the sentiment of the speech so yes okay you put it on primetime speech and you say all in the name of balance but those that are arguing for it are occupying a primetime slot and therefore are in a position to influence uh you know influence those listening so just before before we continue i think we agreed beforehand we were really only going to substantively quote one line of this speech and i think now's a good time to put it in because we're saying well what are we legitimizing um, and that is 
uh, Powell said, uh, as a, again, Powell said, as a result of simply legislating some equal, some legislating some non-discrimination in this country, in 15 or 20 years time, the black man will have the whip hand over the white man. So this is the demonstrably position. untrue. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's demonstrably it's demonstrably untrue. Um, except in consensual BDSM situations, <laughs> um, which is totally sweet. Um, but it, th- this is the this is the the view the viewpoint that the BBC is saying is now up for debate, basically. I know, and and if you're going to entertain the idea that actually mass immigration has led to the empowerment of black men or brown men over white men. Uh, if nothing else, the podcast that Hussein and I run would not exist. And, you know, let's not imagine a world in which No Country for Brown Men is not on the airwaves. Um, but it's it's just, it's simply not the case. Um, the fact is that black people, brown people, they are still, they are still very much um, the, the second or the third minority. They're not, you know, you know, we haven't, we haven't taken over the white white Britain. You know that is not a case. No, not, not yet, anyway. Not yet. Not 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 yet. Exactly. Um, so you know the, the quote is in itself a fallacy. It was wrong. So the the speech the speech has you know it, the speech made an ominous prediction that has not come true. Um, so therefore, giving it airtime and giving it discussion now suggests that it's something worth debating or worth revisiting. I'd argue that it's not. Mm. Well, it's the um, one one thing I sort of want to sort of bring up is this is in fact and we were sorry having a i'll peel back the curtain we were having a conversation about this in the pub earlier uh and you said like it's the um one of the problems is is what is a racist you know we say you said that if you have a, a you know a skinhead who's shouting slurs is not going to be taken seriously no sure i think that racism has evolved um racism is i i, I think um one of the interesting ways of looking at it is like look a skinhead a skinhead is hard to ignore. If he's shouting racial slurs and causing a ruckus, you know, you can't ignore it. You just acknowledge him for what it is. Um, uh, the the modern racist is the one who hides in plain sight, the one who puts on a pinstripe suit and therefore um, gets taken seriously on the debating floor because they've put on a suit, because they've got, uh, you know, a nice a nice accent. I mean, there was actually a uh, an article in the New Statesman recently called The Polite Extremist, which was about Jacob Rees-Mogg, you know, being this unwaveringly polite guy who holds these objectively abhorrent views. Um, but, you know, people give him people give him time of day because he's not shouting, oh, fuck this, fuck that. You know, it's because he puts on a suit and speaks nicely and says things that are diplomatic. You know, he says things in a diplomatic voice, and they are the opposite of diplomacy mm-hmm. in reality. And I think what what you get to is to call out this racism, right? And to call out the Enoch Powell speech for racism, even um, someone you will get you will get a response saying, "Ah, you disagree with its ideas, therefore you're insulting the person." I think it's fairly. I think it's fairly disingenuous to defend things under the banner of free speech so frivolously. Um, free speech is the right to express yourself, no matter what you think or feel, and you know, and that and that's something that I'd argue that most people, you know, if not all people on the left, would you know, would be in favour of doing. However, um, free speech at the expense of somebody else's freedom or liberties ceases to be free speech, mm. and that's. Kind of, and this kind of gets to, I think, a, a, one of the crucial, one of the crucial things to think about about this speech, is that the BBC is rebroadcasting it because it's history, and 
it's history because oh it's of interest it's as though and and they're rebroadcasting it as though speech doesn't have an effect and the free speech warriors are saying oh it's just free speech you can't let you and it's no one's going to get hurt you just have to debate its ideas but the free speech warriors seem who are so ardent on defending free speech when it's racially charged speech when it is when it is hate speech will sort of be the first person to say oh speech has no effect but if it's pointless if speech has no effect why defend it so vociferously i i think there are two i think there are two sides to come back on so the first is like okay there is an argument to suggest that history uh, history in its entirety should be debated and should be discussed because you know you can't you can't really learn anything from history unless you appreciate the full spectrum of it. And that means appreciating the good and the bad. So on the point that the Rivers of Blood speech is an important speech to recognize and understand as being, you know, uh, harmful to race relations and indeed symptomatic of uh, certain values and attitudes and ideals that exist at that time that ideally wouldn't exist now, but in actual fact do, then yes, I can see some merit in discussing it. Um, the problem is that if the BBC is really committed to balance, then I will only really accept the BBC's decision to broadcast the Rivers of Blood speech if the BBC then offer up a similar primetime slot to a debate or a discussion on the legacy of the empire, which is something that is not talked about, which is something that is not is not given the same level of historic free speech value or merit so yes okay we... i believe that's referred to as talking britain down actually <laughs> yeah so this is this is exactly the point is that if the bbc are so committed to balance and diversity of opinion then in that case fine for broadcast the rivers of blood speech but then also why don't we have a prime time one hour discussion on what britain did to india in the 19th and 20th centuries. We, but the thing is, that program will never be made. That program will never exist. Um, and the only reason why the Rivers of Blood speech is taking the prominence that it is, is because the BBC basically want to take some heat off themselves <laughs> for recently becoming, you know, recently becoming in, in encounter with, uh, you know, these uh, these Remain allegations. The, the, BB, the BBC is a left-leaning organisation. You know, it, it is. Um, you know, the BBC is probably more sympathetic to the Remain cause than the Leave cause. Um, the BBC is not a terrible organisation, by any stretch but what they've done here is they've submitted to a populist drive and i i think that you know that that is why i think they've put this this broadcast out there well i think there is i think i think that's absolutely correct i think and just to sort of bring up the other these other sort of elements that that we were discussing earlier it's that i think that um number one you can't deny that there is a bit of sort of prurience and edginess to this I mean, again, I, I, as, as loath as I am to, to quote Powell, actually, this is something I thought was very interesting. Um, the line after the in this country in 15 or 20 years time, the line after that is Enoch Powell saying, I can already hear the chorus of, uh, of execration. How dare I say such a horrible thing? How dare I stir up trouble and inflame feelings? I mean, it's you could you could imagine that written in much more sort of chud English in a Breitbart comment section. Who talks like that? You know, pal. Yeah, <laughs> but it's that, it, and it's this. It's this thing where you know they know they're being. I'm not saying they know they're being naughty, but there is a kind of prurient interest, I think, in doing this. But also, one thing I've noticed, I've noticed this since uh, Brexit and since Trump's election, 
is that both of these were two political movements that were essentially reactionary and essentially white nationalist. And in both cases, the reaction of a lot of the liberal press has been to try and reach an understanding not with the targets of white nationalism, but with the white nationalists themselves. Sort of their endless sort of soft focus portraits of Trump voters in the New York Times saying, I had, I just, people kept calling me racist and so I had to vote Trump for some reason. Um, and, um, and, and, and it's, it's, it seems like there is just this obsession with coming to understanding with them as opposed to profiling the people resisting these things. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I do think that, um, you know, for all the criticism that the left gets or the, or, or, or the center ground even, um, gets for not engaging with those who they disagree with, um, I don't always, I think, I, I think one, I think it's important to understand the frustrations of the white working class who feel like the European project, for example, may have failed them. I think it's definitely important to listen to them. And I think it's definitely important to understand the economic pressures of bottlenecking towards London um, and the, the capital centricity that we've got in this country. But equally, I don't think that the left or indeed ethnic minorities have got any responsibility or any duty to engage with people who dehumanize them. You know, for example, uh, I really hate the phrase legitimate concern about immigration because this has become a it's become a blanket term to basically shut down not debate, but to shut down uh, concerns raised by ethnic minorities. So, you know, as an ethnic minority, I'm told that I need to respect old white people's legitimate concerns about immigration. Okay, so if your concern about immigration is that mass immigration to a certain area leaves those resources stretched and unable to satisfy demand i can just about i can just about get around the idea that that's a legitimate concern about immigration however if that concern is then qualified by the old white person saying um it's a particular kind of person whose mass immigration i have a problem with then it ceases to be a legitimate concern about immigration so i don't really see i don't really see the left as having a duty to um you know almost pacify or rather um, entertain or, um, you know, kind of like, you know, assuage those concerns. Why, 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 why should, why, why do they feel the need to, you know, to do that um, when, you know, those views may very well be harmful and, you know, may very well be illegitimate concerns about immigration because they target a particular minority group. Well, that's just, that's actually just it is the, we, we sort of hear endlessly uh, that, oh, these things must be debated. These things must be debated. But the idea, uh, what I find fundamentally infuriating is this idea that the fundamental, of, the fundamental humanity of some people rests on the ability of other people to argue well against guys with statue avies on Twitter. That it's, it's, it's utterly bizarre that we could say, oh, yes, well, we have to have the debate. We have to engage the other side when the other side is... Is, set, is 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 trying to sort of stir up almost a genocidal fear but it's not it's not a debate is it it's an enduring hypocrisy of the british narrative um and i'm not i don't want to put that into you know i don't want to compartmentalize that into left and right wing thinking i'm talking about education i'm talking about public discourse public 
discussion about British history. You know, if you take GCSE and A-level history in this country, right, we learn about a particular narrative that paints Britain in a, in a certain way. You know, the, the Nazis were terrible, the Brits came in and liberated Europe, and, you know, the Second World War was largely the effects of uh, dissatisfaction with the conclusion of the first, right? Mm. These are kind of like, these are, these, these are the things that you'll see on a mark scheme. We don't get taught about the Commonwealth's role. I mean, at the moment, it's bizarre that the Commonwealth is being talked about as an uh, as an alternative to the EU trading bloc, the, uh, as this as this uh, as this savior, uh, this savior infrastructure. It's mad. What was, what was our hero's joke? Uh, oh God, it was about uh, the Commonwealth. Oh, well, he he essentially says that uh, you know he feels like his own voice is colonizing himself. But uh, you know, the Commonwealth the, the Commonwealth doesn't like the UK. Like that, that, that that's that's the, that's the real falsehood in all this. You know, we talk about trading with the Commonwealth post-Brexit because it'll be like a ready-made alternative to the EU trading bloc, the customs union and whatever. Like the fact is, if somebody colonized you and like caused genocide in your country, why would you later give them a favorable trade deal to say thank you? Like- <laughs> well, it's uh, you, me- you mentioned earlier, in fact, the, the sort of the, the relationship between West Bengal and victory and, and well... And again, I also just to point out the main decisive uh, force in the Second World War was 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 my, my boys, the USSR, <laughs> fucking fucking pouring one out from a gentleman. Uh, but, but you you mentioned the the role uh, that sort of West Bengal played in in Britain's well, see, war this effort. Is, this is the, this is the point. Like, so I can remember doing GCSE and A level history and being told all about the Battle of Britain and all about the. Um, you know, the Treaty of Versailles and the aftermath and all that, no real reflection or consideration was given to the amount of Commonwealth soldiers, whether from India, whether from what is now Pakistan or Bangladesh, no real consideration is given to exactly how many lives they sacrificed in the name of the British Empire. Um, and no real consideration is given to the amount of resources that were taken from Bengal in order to feed white soldiers. You know, so this is stuff that we get, uh, this is, you know, you can be a, the BBC or um, anyone's decision to broadcast the Rivers of Blood speech. If you say that you're against it, you're accused of airbrushing history and cherry picking what you want. Well, I would say the exact same is true of the traditional British narrative around history. You know, British schools don't learn about what the empire did. They don't learn about genocide. They don't learn about the deaths. They don't learn about the raping and the pillaging of Commonwealth countries. They don't learn about it because it's awkward. It's not. It's uncomfortable for them to realise. But this somehow for them is less awkward. It's less awkward because uh, in this instance, you know, it was uh, who who really suffered because of the Rivers of Blood speech. It wasn't indigenous white British people. It was people heard that speech and then felt emboldened, just as Brexit has emboldened many racists. So it's a, a reality that I'm afraid people need to just get their heads around. But just as Brexit has emboldened many racists to behave, uh, behave in a certain way and express themselves uh, a lot more obtrusively, um, the same thing is true of the Rivers of Blood speech. You know, it legitimised, or at least perceptively legitimised racists to go and attack corner shops in the West Midlands or to say things to black people or to, you know, it made them feel, you know, the fact that Parliament, somebody in Parliament had said these things meant that they felt okay in holding these views. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing history repeating itself now. So rebroadcasting it is only going to consolidate that. Yeah, I was almost going to say, damn, it's a good thing no one ever broadcast the speech in full in the British airwaves. <laughs> that would be a real fuck up. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's baffling really is that, um, you know, I mean, actually the comedian Paul Chowdhury, um, who had recently done an interview with, you know, he, he talked about like a lot of the, a lot of his routine um 
rests on contrasting British and Asian stereotypes. And, you know, one thing he says about, you know, he does the Dave accent, you know, uh, Dave for every white guy and Trace for every white woman. <laughs> Um, but he says, like, you know, he's it's like, so true. He's like, he's like, uh, come on, Paul. When I do your accent, it's racist. But when you do mine, it's not. Like, but the thing is, there's a huge difference between a white guy going some bud bud ding ding and doing the head bob. You know, but they feel the minute that they see that on primetime TV, they'll feel like it's okay. Look at the Apu stuff on The Simpsons. People feel that if something's out there in the public consciousness, it's made commonplace, then it's okay to repeat out, outside of TV or the media. And that's my fear for the Rivers of Blood speech is that people will hear it most likely in this instance for the first time. They'll hear it and they'll say, oh, this Enoch, he had good ideas. Mm -hmm. And it won't be long before you see a Breitbart comment piece quoting the Rivers of Blood speech and, by a 21 year old. Oh, God. And, he, and that's the other thing, right, is they is they have this sort of fig leaf where they're saying, oh, we're going to present. We're going to present criticism. We're going to present criticism from both sides of the spectrum so you can understand more as though understanding is something that's totally neutral that just takes place in a vacuum. Whereas I imagine in it, 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 when people hear this in sort of like people who just have in, have inter who may not consider themselves racist, but who just believe black people commit more crime. I'm doing scare quotes around that. Um, they will hear this speech. And they'll hear the criticism from, the, say, the side of the spectrum that says, yeah, Enoch Powell was actually kind of a bellend. And they'll say, oh, that's just lefty, unreal. Uh, that's unrealistic lefty nonsense. Everybody knows that black people are just a bit more naughty. And actually, this Powell bloke had a few good points. That's like, of course, that's what's going to happen. Um, and it, it's, see, it's, it's bizarre uh, that anyone would think they didn't. Well, we go back to the point that we made earlier about the evolution of the racist image. Like, yes, I'm sure that there are plenty of skinheads and all that who still exist and who will still be very open and forthright in their racism. But equally, what about the university educated racist who has, you know, who complains about the curriculum being too left wing and the university educated racist who has Nigel Farage as his cover photo on Facebook, you know, and uh, has this insistence. I bet that guy fucks a lot. <laughs> but has this insistence, I'm not racist, but that that is the most racist sentence beginning ever. I'm not racist, but and then inevitably it ends up being something racist as the second half of that sentence <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm not i'm not racist but italians have an extra lobe in their brain that makes them criminals <laughs> god <laughs> um so something i actually something that that's that's come up a couple of times that i really actually do want to hit on is that we, we've spoken quite a bit about the empire i think it's important to sort of understand britain's relationship with its sort of disintegrating empire in the 1960s, when Powell made this speech, I, I, I think I think the the saddest thing about the empire's representation in modern British discourse is that um, a lot of British people think that the empire was a good thing because it politicized, it mobilized, it technologized railways. Railways. railways they yeah. constantly talk about the fucking railways. I, I think the best way of putting it is that the British Empire probably had, um, you know, the most state-sized case of little man syndrome. You know, a country that was so small and had little to no natural resources somehow managed to colonize the world. Yeah, it's like they they were the history's big swinging dick, but they were kind of a chode. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the British Empire is the most powerful chode of all time. <laughs> Recently, there was an absolutely terrible, distasteful tweet from the Conservative MP Daniel Hannan, who um, on World Commonwealth Day 
you know, he celebrated the Commonwealth countries by saying, you know, uh, well done to the Commonwealth, uh, who are all these countries that are bound by liberty. Itself is an oxymoron. You cannot be bound by liberty. Liberty means freedom. Bound means that you're in chains. So what the fuck was he on about? But the point is that so many Brits and so many people who live in this post-imperialist fantasy, they seem to believe that Commonwealth countries feel grateful for being colonized. And yes, I will say this, like, as long as we're being philosophical, as long as we're reflecting on the legacy of the empire, India owes a lot to the British in terms of infrastructure. Yes, it does. But does infrastructure, does uh, federal politics, does that make up for millions and millions of deaths? You know, it's not really an answer that can be given. But the point is that, you know, a lot of these a lot of these people who are defending the legacy of the empire, they just say, oh, yeah, but railways, though. And the thing is, like railways does not make up for relatives that I never met. And 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 yes, okay, great. It, it you know when I go to India and I'm taking my backpack or whatever, I can get on some functional trains. But like, in the same way that they don't want to airbrush history about uh, Enoch Powell, Enoch Powell's contribution to the race discussion, I don't want the British's uh, role in partition to be ignored when we talk about the history of the Commonwealth. And that and what's interesting is that is that these policies were leading a lot of former imperial subjects to come to Britain. Yeah. I mean, this is this is this is the this is the tragic irony of Brexit is that Brexit was campaigned for on such a massively anti-immigration ticket. Vote Brexit and we'll take control of our borders. OK, fine. Vote Brexit. So stop the Polish people coming from fixing your sink for fuck's sake. OK, fine. We've done that. But what we're going to do now is as, uh, as a way of a concession to the Commonwealth, we're going to let people from Jamaica, from India, from Pakistan, from Bangladesh, from, you know, from from the Commonwealth countries to come in. So you're replacing one mass immigration from Europe with mass immigration from the Commonwealth. And the ones from the Commonwealth are the ones who look black and brown, which are exactly the people that Enoch Powell warned you about. So how has how has any of this, how has any of this, from the moment he made the Rivers of Blood speech to the modern reality of Britain being bent over a barrel because it has no willing trading partners, at what point has this been a successful speech and a successful prediction? Well, it's it's never been... I think that's interesting. You ask, so we ask, sort of, what's this speech for? Is this speech for um, making a, a proper prediction? I would say no, it's not. It is a, and I think it, it, because the idea that um, white culture, despite its sort of position of sort of what well, white culture, quote unquote, despite the fact that sort of majority white countries have basically been in total military control of most of the world for the last couple hundred years. Um, has this sense of intense fragility where it feels like it's always about to be toppled by something. And this speech is exactly this. And we all and, and, the, and you only have to look to phrases like white genocide or whatever that sort of you know dipshits like Steve Bannon push when they think that oh white people are going to be outbred by black and brown people. The prediction isn't wrong. It's that the the propaganda is still going. It's not the prediction is wrong. It's that the propaganda is still going. I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe there are too many black CEOs. You know, maybe 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 there are maybe there are too many wealthy, privileged black guys. I think that that may very well be the cause of the problems uh, in Britain. It's, you, it's you know what it is. Uh, I've heard they're not grateful. <laughs> but see, th- this 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 reminds me of uh, Stormzy's Brit Award was uh, a performance recently. You know, electric performance, great showmanship, and you know he made the he made the slur at my former employers um, about you know um, the Daily Mail can suck my dick, and you know then a Daily Mail columnist, uh, I think oh, I've forgotten her name now, Platel, I forget her first name. She made that she you know she made that comment in her column saying 
you know, she says, when is Stormzy going to be grateful for the life that Britain's given him? And somebody put on Twitter, when you give back the gold that you stole from his country, you know, and again, it's comments like that. And you see the responses to that tweet. You see so many responses saying, what are you on about? What are you referring to? And they don't know. They don't know. And if they do know, they don't care. And they should. That's the thing. There's no perspective. There's no perspective as to Britain's role in shaping global history. Because what Powell was afraid of and what the white genocide inheritors of his ideas were afraid of was this idea. I, th- I think I, I to be honest, I think that they, they there is some internalized guilt. They must know somewhere what they kind of have done to the rest of the world. Well, and they're fearing that at some point their chickens are going to come home to roost. But that's an, that's an interesting point you make about internalized guilt. So I recently went to Berlin, which, um, you know, which is a very interesting city because Berlin, it, you know, it was, it was Nazi HQ, right? So, uh, you know, there are many landmarks within Berlin that remind you of the horrors of, you know, just, just about a century ago, essentially. Um, it's not that long ago. And there are constant reminders of the Holocaust. There are constant reminders of Hitler, what he was doing. You know, the fact that now modern day Berlin is a liberal, metropolitan, largely left-leaning nightclub city, uh, one with a big LGBT community, that is the biggest middle finger that Berlin can give to Hitler. It can say, you know, fuck you, we accept gays, we accept black people, we accept brown people. And that is a wonderful tribute. Now, we went, myself and my girlfriend, we went there and we went on a bike tour around all the famous landmarks. And our tour guide said, as he was showing us all these landmarks and explaining how Berlin was now such a progressive city, um, he was saying that in Germany, it's taught very early on to understand the gravitas of what happened in Nazi Germany. You know, from a very early age, Germans are told, this is bad, we were in the wrong, this is what Hitler did, and we need to reflect on it. And the biggest tribute we can give to those that were affected is to become more progressive and more liberal, which is great. We don't get anything like that in Britain. We never, we never, we never stand back and say like, ah, actually, yeah, we probably shouldn't have carved up Africa like that, should we? You know, like we never ever, you know, or, or we probably shouldn't have taken that gold, probably shouldn't have taken those jewels, you know, probably shouldn't have, um, you know, probably shouldn't have uh, brought over a load of guys uh, to fix the labour shortage of the 1970s, um, you know, in Britain and then racially abuse them on top of that. So like bring them over here with a promise of a new life and then make them third class citizens. Mm. You know, we never reflect on that. And it's it's what's I think, and this is this is a comparison. This is something that's been brought up quite a bit, and I think it's worthwhile to bring up about this speech, is that is that Germany is able to remember its own history, without rebroadcasting the Nuremberg rallies. Exactly. You know, are you going to see uh, again? See, this is the ridiculous thing: is that I know that as soon as you know, as soon as you make a comment like if you if you say unfortunately any debate about left right uh, attitudes towards free speech descends into oh well if you compare anything that's kind of like center right to nazism then it's almost like hyperbolic hyperbo- hyperbolic and therefore dismissed but the thing is i really would put it to the bbc you would not broadcast the nuremberg rallies on primetime tv slots right if anything if you broadcast them to be pr- critiqued they'd be after watershed and uh you know they wouldn't be they wouldn't be heralded as being all oh, the first ever broadcast of the nuremberg rallies they would be like this is harrowing and this is an insight into the horrors of nazi germany whereas the way that we're presenting the rivers of blood speech is like it's a fucking museum exhibition and the other and crucial thing to remember is recall what i said towards the beginning of the show enoch powell is seen by members of the Sort of by modern conservative leaders like sort of Thatcher. Um, I heard she died. Um, but 
but but he remembered as basically a respectable, worthwhile person. I mean, I'm not seeing the kind, and, and considering what he has said, I'm not seeing the kind of broad brush condemnation that would make revisiting his speech even broadly acceptable. Well, this is the thing: history, uh, history is written by the winners, um, and therefore history reflects favorably on you know on, on those who they consider to be the winners. So. I would argue that obviously left-wing historians and pro-immigration historians would view Enoch Powell as we would. Um, so I can't really say that it's too broad brush in that sense, but I'll go back to the original example we gave about Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill is on our £5 notes. Winston Churchill is, has been the subject of uh, four films in the last three years. Uh, you know, like Hollywood's running out of ideas uh, that they had to just keep on making Churchill films. You know, <laughs> the sky was dark because all the stars were in the Winston <laughs> Churchill biopics. <laughs> but see... You know, the Churchill films and the representation of Churchill as being this level-headed war hero at a time when Britain needed him, um, that may he, you know, that, that, that he might be, but we don't get we don't get his tour of India. We don't get his um, starving Bengalis. We don't, you know, we don't get any reflection of that because that would not suit the narrative that he would fight them on the beaches and and and, and, and whatnot. You know, that's that's we we pick and choose. We pick and choose what we celebrate, and we pick and choose what we ignore. And, and we pick and choose how we celebrate it as well, because I'm reminded of probably of a scene. I haven't seen the Churchill movie. Uh, I won't see the Churchill movie. It looks boring as hell, and it's not going to be as cool as Crank 2 High Voltage, the best movie <laughs> ever made. Um, but I, there is a scene in, in which an imagined Churchill sort of gets on the tube, and which he would never would have done, uh, and gives a rousing speech to everybody in the tube, and then, you know, very sort of affirmingly sort of like shakes a black man's hand, which he never would have fucking done. I know. I mean, I, mean, I, will, I will go as far to say, though, like... History, again, is written by the winners. I will also go as far to say that there are icons on the left that are perfectly flawed. You know, there's plenty of things. Uh, you know, we don't talk about the fact that Gandhi stood shoulder to shoulder with uh, with white guys in apartheid. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about um, the failings of Che or Castro, really, like on the left. Like, we, we, we pick and choose as well. But if we want to talk about true reflective history, which is allegedly the uh, you know allegedly the main kind of harbinger for the decision to put the Rivers of Blood speech out there, okay, if that is genuinely what the BBC want, then I expect to see you know empire reflective documentaries within the next few weeks as well. <laughs> Hear that, BBC? <laughs> Hear that, B- we are uh, we we at Trash Future are officially co- uh, officially commissioning <laughs> a documentary about uh, the Bengali famine <laughs> that will hold up British involvement in that particular crime of history. Uh, you may now please make this. Thank you very much, <laughs> um, Rohan. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure. And uh, just a reminder that No Country for Brown Men is coming back. I think now we need it more than ever. I'm going to say the official Trash Future position is smash that goddamn subscribe button. Um, and, uh, and and uh, otherwise, uh, I really do hope uh, you have enjoyed uh, the alternative uh, we have presented to listening to the words of uh, Enoch Powell, well-respected by Margaret Thatcher, <laughs> uh, conservative politician. Um, I think it was an error to broadcast and... I hope you have enjoyed our alternative. Thank you very much.